Guys, grab your Bibles, if you will, and open them to the um, the 16th chapter of uh, the book of Leviticus. You may remember um, last month that I told you we were going to look at Leviticus 16 for um, for three months. Uh, this is the Day of Atonement uh, in, in the Old Testament, but it has a lot of rich significance for... Um, for the New Testament church, for Christians uh, of the 21st century, in, in a lot of ways, guys, what is happening here in Leviticus 16 is very much what we're doing in a few minutes as we gather around that table. So I've read the whole chapter to you. I'm not going to read that again. Let me read you the first five verses of um, Leviticus 16. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place, um, in the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering. And one ram for a burnt offering. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. You guys, my goal this morning is is fairly simple. Um, I wanted to find some terms for you uh, in the hope that once you understand the terms, then the richness of this uh, this event, this text, will um, uh, will become more apparent to you. Um, there's, there's a whole lot of terms that kind of get jumbled up. They are, they're found in the New Testament, but they have roots in the Old Testament. And because there's so many different translations out there, these words kind of get jumbled up in our minds. For instance, the word propitiation. I wonder how many of you understand that word. Um, mercy seat. Or atonement. Or atonement covering. Those are the words that are in the various translations. Mine has mercy seat. Some of yours has atonement covering. Some of you might have, but but when you come to the New Testament, you find the word propitiation. And they're all linked because they're basically out of the same word. They're, they're, They're in the same family of words. And so when the translators come... To translate the Hebrew or the Greek word, they, they have a choice. And so they, they choose terms. And I, what I think happens, I, I, I hope I don't insult you, but what I think happens is, it, is that it confuses the reader of the, the people of God. And so what I want to do is just kind of clear up some of those words and uh, do so, uh, hopefully, in a very illustrative way. Let's see if we can do that. Um, to, to accomplish that, I, I want to I give you a brief lesson in temple furniture. Furniture. Now, guys, let's, let's start with the word temple, all right? Th- that's another word that people... Mm, guys, the temple is nothing more than the permanent version of the temporary thing called 
the sanctuary or the tabernacle or the tent of meeting or the tent. In the Old Testament, when, when Israel was wandering around so much, they had this thing, this, this building that was the place of their worship, and it was called, it was, it was movable. It was, uh, they carried it with them when they changed locations. And it was called the tent, the sanctuary, the tent of meeting. It was called all those things. It was called the tabernacle. Later on, when Solomon, um, built a permanent structure in Jerusalem, it became known as the temple. Same building, same format, same design, same furniture. One's permanent, one was movable. So we're talking about the furniture inside the temple or the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. (laughs) Any of those, it's all the same building. Now, the, the furniture, it too has some various names. There was the table of showbread or the table of presents. Uh, this is mentioned for you in Exodus 25, if you'd like. There was a table in there that had bread on it. It was supposed to uh, symbolize something to do with the presence of God. And so was that that lampstand. You know, the the um, the seven branches of the lampstand. I don't know how to do that. The seven branches of the lampstand. That, 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 that candelabra of seven. Well, that, that had something to do with the presence of God, too. And then, of course, there was the bronze altar where some sacrifices were made. And then there was an incense altar, uh, another piece of furniture, which, which symbolized the, the, the going up, the rising of the prayers of God's people continually. But by far, the most, the centerpiece of all of, of temple furniture was a thing called the Ark of the Covenant. Now, you've heard of that before, haven't you? It was the thing that Indiana Jones was looking for in Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, and he, he says in his movie that it's in a warehouse in Washington, D.C., and that, that's just what Hollywood will do to it. But there was a real thing called the Ark of the Covenant. It was a, it was a box. It was about four feet wide, or, or long, about two feet wide, and about two feet tall. If you can imagine a, um, a cedar chest. It's something similar looking to a cedar chest. Um, and, and, and on top of that thing were two cherubs. The plural of cherub is cherubim. <laughs> so you've got two cherubim, one on each end of that, that box, and their, their, their wings are touching, and that spot right there, in fact, it's mentioned right here, um, in, in our text, is the spot at which God will show up. It, um, it was called, in First Chronicles, it was called the, the royal footstool of the Lord. Um, it was, it was said that Yahweh is enthroned between those cherubim. That's where his presence was identified. Right above this box, right in between the two cherub. Now on top of that box, was a slab of gold. How thick it was, I don't know. But it was a slab of gold. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is called the mercy seat. Oftentimes, um, the mercy seat is identified from the box itself because it was on the mercy seat where sin was dealt with. Now, guys... 
I want to suggest to you that that piece of furniture, that Ark of the Covenant, that box with the slab of gold, that piece of furniture is preaching the gospel to you and me. Let me, t- let me tell you how, how, why I say that. Do you remember what was inside that box? There were three things. Very interestingly, much later in the history of Israel, the, two of those things seemed to disappear from the inside because they're not mentioned. Um, but there were three things. Aaron's rod that budded, um, a jar of manna, and most significantly, the two tablets on which God had inscribed the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are inside there, ladies and gentlemen. Inside that box were the Ten Commandments. Now, the top of that box is a, is a slab of gold known as the mercy seat. And once a year, as you all know, I'm sure, the priest, the high priest would come in, but he wouldn't come in with nothing. He came in with blood. Whether it was in his hands or in a bowl, I don't know, but he came in with blood. I think it was in a bowl. And he poured the blood on that slab of gold, the mercy seat. Do you know why? Because, ladies and gentlemen, of course, remember now, this is this is the presence of God. And so, in the presence of God, the law is crying out about Israel's guilt. Crying out about your guilt, my guilt, their guilt. The law is crying, they're guilty. They're guilty. They're guilty. And they're right. We are guilty. And so the high priest would come in and he would take blood and he would pour blood on that mercy seat, that slab of gold. And what he was doing is he was silencing the clamorings of the law against That spot is where a holy God came into contact with an unholy people with the law crying out how guilty were these people. And the only thing that mediated between a holy God and an unholy people was blood. Blood brought by the high priest. A holy offended God. An unholy offending people mediated, brought together by shed blood. Ladies and gentlemen, the next time you go to your New Testament, there's, it's, it's found three times. It's found in Romans 3.25. 
It's found in 1 John 2, 2, and it's found in 1 John 4, 10. And when you find the word propitiation, that word propitiation is referring to the very thing that I just described. Propitiation has to do with an event where a holy offended God and an unholy offending people are brought together by spilled blood. Guys, it's as if the sin that I produced is absorbed. It's it's sopped up. It's quenched. By spilled blood. And the lie and the law falls silent. It has nothing else to say against me. It's been silenced. My brother and sister in Christ, when that piece of imagery begins to seep down into the cracks and the crevices of your soul, then you won't lie in bed anymore with a conscience that's raging You may begin to understand something about what J.C. Ryle meant when he said, the only thing that will quiet a guilty conscience is the blood of Jesus poured on it. The same act of pouring out blood is the act that we're about to participate in in this sacrament. Ladies and gentlemen, the law against you in me has been silenced because of the event that we're pointing to with this sacrament. There's no more condemnation. There's no condemnation, ladies and gentlemen, to them who are in Christ Jesus. The law can say nothing. It's been quieted. So, we're coming to lay hold all over again to that work, that event, that person who spilled his blood to cover the law, to pay for my sin, and to set me free. Welcome. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the place where all of the soul's needs are met. Let's pray. Our Father, I do pray that you will use um, those words to just give your people a, a, a mental picture of what's been accomplished for us by Christ, that we can um, walk away from here this morning not simply having endured a, a church sacrament, But might we be reminded of the great beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ that has as its focus the spilling of innocent blood so that the guilty 
might go free. We the guilty, we come, we come gladly, we come to enjoy. So would you use this sacrament to give us a picture all over again of who we are and why we are who we are. We pray it in Jesus' name.